This week, we're breaking down the new Unearthed Arcana feats. Which ones are good, which ones are great, and why you shouldn't be a chef. Welcome to We Speak Common. Welcome to another episode of We Speak Common, a podcast brought to you in association with the Dice Dungeon UK, where you can get yourself some really nice handcrafted metal dice shipped from the UK internationally, and now new resin sets of dice too, for a little bit of a cheaper option. We'll talk a little bit more about that and how you can get 10% off using the code We Speak Common at checkout later on. First though, hello Joe, you right, mate? I am uh, very well, Benjamin. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm, um, I'm posted up in my... Uh, my duvet studio, um, which, to be honest, feels like a nice little cocoon hidden away from the rest of the world. Mate, I've been spending this whole weekend uh, doing. I've done I've done seven job applications and sent them off yesterday. It was intense. It's pretty, pretty soul destroying, isn't it? Yeah, that whole process. I mean, it's not too bad because I've had like obviously. So my company's going through redundancy, so these jobs are with the new company, and they're jobs that I want to do. So like. There's stuff that I already do that I'm trained for. So it's not too difficult. And my sister's been helping me because she's stuck in New Zealand because the old Rona. So she's got like loads of time on her hands. So she's been like my editor, basically. Um, but I finally like got it all finished, sent them all off yesterday. And then all I had to do was finish off a showreel for um, for one I sent off this morning. So I'm Mate, done. I, I, know, I know what you mean. I've been um, going back and forth. Uh, I was really lucky. I got a, a real good contact. Um who used to basically work in the area I want to go for. Mm. Uh, and he's very experienced with CV, so he's been helping me out with mine. And I'll send him like a CV, and he'll send me back a bunch of feedback and whatnot, and I'll do it all again. <laughs> and I'll think, okay, sorted, done now, send it back. Then he has more feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has happened like literally eight times. And the last time, he just sent me the CV back, and he's like, okay, all the bits in red, uh, I think it should change and why. Ben, the whole thing's just in red. I don't even know what I'm going. But, like, it gets slightly better every time. So yeah, yeah. I, th- I should have the most amazing, uh, you know, curriculum vitae ever at so the end of this. I made – I love the fact that you <laughs> used its official name as well. I, um, I had to make – obviously, so one of the jobs I'm applying for is to basically do what I already do, which is present a radio show. Uh, so I had to make a new demo, but because it's a do new – Do you have any experience in that or um, – Yeah, you know, just, just the old six years, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, of the same format, but whatever. Uh, I'm still at risk. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. Are you a little bit? Maybe a little, a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But because the the new company has a slightly different format, I had to like tailor my demo for them. So I, I made this demo seven times going back and forth with um, a guy at work, which was like every time I bought it to him, he's like, yeah, this is really good, but redo this bit and this bit and then change the order. And I bought it back and I did it again. And it got to like the fifth one. I was like, please just don't, don't tell me to change it again. He went, well, I'm going to tell you to change it again. <laughs> Because every time I tell you to change something, it comes back 20% better. So we're not going to send it off until it's f- perfect. Um, I like that, though. But yeah, uh... I've got to say, like, at the end of the day, if I don't get a job with this new company, it's not on me. You know, I've done my absolute <laughs> best. So. I feel I feel the same. Why don't you just send them, you know, a little clip of this of this podcast? And, well, uh... funny you should say that. I have mentioned this in one of the 80,000 cover letters I've written um, many times. So oh. there is that. And being... 
you know, in the media industry, anything media related uh, helps do you, out. Do you want to know how I, how I describe this podcast on my CV? Because I certainly don't call it a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Cause, uh, <laughs> I think that would that would struggle um, yeah. to get the message across. I say, I say, host of a podcast focusing on collaborative storytelling and creative writing. Amazing. Um, which I feel is, um, I'm stretching the limits of what this podcast is actually about. I mean, it's not a lie. You know. No, no, no. Technically, we do cover off those things. So. Do you know what I put in mine? <laughs> I, I put, I, uh, I'm the creator and host of a profiting pop- podcast. They don't know it's only made £13, but it's still made £13. <laughs> 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 which is always good fun mate I, I like that that's uh that's even better yeah. actually i'll have to i do to um, that in. i do say it's D though because like for me that's just it just shows that i can i can get in on a niche market and that's what well, well that's is. nice but I, I, I feel like you're i feel like radio is perhaps more accepting mm. of that niche than perhaps my um markets that i'm trying to hit into are <laughs> i've yeah. got to understand that as such yeah, but absolutely. There you go. Well, uh, well, this is about D and D, isn't it? This podcast, I guess. So, no, um... it's about storytelling and collaborative. Uh, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's profitable. Let's just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we talking about the, Are we talking about these feats, Ben? Uh, yeah, I do want to talk about these feats, and I also want to talk about um, something I did that I don't I don't think I ever was going to do originally, uh, really briefly, because you know we always start these episodes off by talking about like our games and things, um, mm-hmm. Joe. This past week, I played for the first time as a player using D and D Beyond. Oh, yeah, it's kind of fun. It was quite fun, and like I thought, being a pen and paper traditionalist that I am, um, I thought I was mm-hmm. going to hate it. But uh, and I, I only had the opportunity because James um, has bought the PHB and Xanifers in the campaign that he's got me in, so I now have access to like the stuff for my character so i i made up my hexblade warlock leveled him up to nine knowing that we'd be swapping over halfway through the um through the session and i gotta say i've decided i like the layout i like how it looks i like the design like it looks nice you know for sure but functionally and i don't know whether it's because i'm new i just feel like you can lose a lot of stuff because you end up having like your spells attacks actions inventory background etc etc on like a small box that has tabs and i feel like yeah it's easier to lose stuff when it's all tabbed away and hidden i don't know yeah yeah i mean i feel similarly but as you know i have very little respect for my character sheets and their well-being Mm. um they are often crumpled and tea stained so i mean I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a purist, but I, I generally just run obviously a character sheet and then just have inventory on a like a notes app on my phone. Mm. Just because I find, especially in the current campaign, as a thief, I am uh, taking things a lot and adding and changing my no. my stuff. Really? Uh, yes, shockingly. So I find it easier to do that as opposed to keep rubbing stuff out and, and putting it on there and it would just be even more of a mess. Mm-hmm. But... I did, I mean, I've seen, I haven't ever used Indie Beyond, but obviously uh, I'm kind of into, like, optimization and character building and whatnot. And uh, a lot of YouTubers and stuff who do that will make builds on D&D Beyond and, and put them on there and I'll have a look at them. And I do kind of agree. I don't like how, yeah, a lot of information is just in that one little box, which yeah. you tab around in. And that's a little bit, mm, meh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would prefer 
like just you know two pages yeah maybe yeah just See, an- another page for that stuff you can you could fit them side by side i don't think it'd be too much of an issue so no. i understand why they've done it um but i don't know that's that gets me and i think as well like i there are things on it that i really love like i love the currency calculator and i love that it tells me my weight even though we don't do incumbents um and over encumbering and all of that i love all that stuff i love all that little nitty-gritty detail stuff um and i like that you know, you can change one score and everything automatically changes. Like, that's the benefit of having a digital sheet, right? But I did find... So my character wears um, half-plate armor, so he's got disadvantage on stealth. And you can just click the button to roll a die. But it didn't roll two dice, it rolled one. And I was like, well, am I getting disadvantage there? Are you doing it behind the scenes or am I not? I mean, it doesn't really affect me because I roll actual dice because that's the fun of it for me. I like doing that, regardless of whether I'm playing in person or not. But so that was a thing. And then the only other thing I found was um, this was an online game and I had my I had a I had a different setup. So I had a different computer doing webcam for me and I had the digital sheet on my laptop. And when I switched, you know, before I had my sheet on my little um, what's it like clipboard kind of like thing that I store it in. And like that was fun. I have there I can lean on it. I'm drawing like I feel like I'm part of the table. As soon as I have a bulky laptop in front of me, I'm cut off. Um, and like that might be different if I had an iPad or a tablet because they're a bit smaller and it's a bit more like holding a clipboard. But with a laptop, it just didn't work. And I imagine if you were doing that in person around a table, I j- it just feel like you're all shut off from each other. Yeah, I guess. It de- I suppose it depends how you lay it out. Like, again, if you just had... Um... Like, like a, you say, like an, an iPad, yeah, that yeah. you can just sort of lay flat or, you know, shallowly angled on a table or whatever. Yeah. It, it would probably feel more um, more natural. I must say, like, from the digital character sheets I've used and stuff, the only one I've really done was on um, Roll20. Mm. Well, actually, I did, I did one on uh, Fantasy Grounds, but I didn't like it too much just because I feel like Fantasy Grounds built on top of like a really old chassis now mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was for the uh, star wars game so fancy flight games uh star wars and playing asia rebellion and so it didn't work that great on fantasy grounds i thought but on roll 20 it works really well and the character sheet is amazingly laid out on there and i was kind of lucky because i didn't have to do anything uh hulk who's a fan of the show and whatnot and dms that game for for me and a, a few other guys he set it all up and uh, sort of got his head around the whole thing. And it is really, really good. And that's so nice because um, that has a user a different dice system and whatnot. It is a lot easier actually to uh, to like roll those dice digitally mm-hmm. because you basically roll them all and then you have to do a sort of a bunch of adding and subtracting and cancelling out after the fact. So if you can do it all at once, that's quite nice. And that character sheet is just really, really well laid out. Basically, you can also like pop it out of its window and then just chuck it up on another screen if you want so i have it and so like the my one of my entire monitors because we, we just play this game online is that character sheet and i can see everything you just click on a skill it rolls it you click on an ability you can create like uh custom abilities and skills and things like that if need be if you've got something specific going on on your campaign that that the sort of the base rules don't really represent all that well and you can do the same for ships, like so you can just essentially like bolt on an X Wing onto your character sheet and now your character's in an X Wing and you have all the stats for that there as well. Yeah. So it's really, really nice. And we like really sort of stress tested it. We did this big and we used a bunch of systems at once where we had like mass combat rules going on, which is kind of like 
abstracted uh, large combat rules so you have leadership roles going on there and then in that we had the space battle going on and then within that we had like a ground battle going on at the same time and what could have been like a complete mess because we were all running online just like worked perfectly basically and yeah. it was just it was awesome it felt like you're in star wars so that one works really well i don't know how well i'll have to try out the uh like roll 20 D D version mm. and see i haven't see seen how well it that was. i haven't seen it at all and i know that yeah. um D&D Beyond does fit quite nicely with a lot of the other digital tabletops that are out there. So I guess if you're purely digital, it would make sense. I don't know. I'm going to keep using it. I'm going to like I've I've made um, my ninth level character sheet as a character sheet just in case I I don't know really can't get on with it. Um, but I'm going to keep using the the D&D Beyond version for now. See how I get on with it, and then have a full judgment down the line because I haven't used it for combat yet. It was. Um, a mostly uh, mostly role play session, but we'll we'll see. Fair play. Yeah, I'll uh, cool. I'll report back. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about these feats then? Well, I do, Ben, because I've got issues with them. Ninety nine problems. <laughs> uh, also, if you don't know, Unearthed Arcana, the beta edition, essentially of D anD D, has brought out a couple of well, a f- quite a few new feats, and I just think they're all terrible for the most part. Oh, come on! And, and I don't know why you'd pick any of them. Uh, I mean. A lot of them basically give you like a hint of another class, right? I think there's 16 so, feats in this UA. Yeah. And so a lot of them give you like a hint of another class. Basically, you generally get, I think, one first level spell and then two cantrips of your choice. Um, and sometimes another little bit of flair, like a tool proficiency or something, uh, all related to a specific class. So there's one like called Eldritch Adept, which is giving you a bit of um obviously a little bit of warlock so basically you can get like an invocation with that one mm-hmm. and there's artificer where you get like a an artificer first level spell but you also get like tool proficiencies and whatnot is the and they're all sorry is the artificer spell list actually that different from the others honestly i've Artifice is the only part of the game where i really don't know all that well mm. uh just because i've not played one yet and i don't really have too much interest at the moment to play one. I mean, I've not even really looked into all their abilities and stuff, so I couldn't actually tell you. I'm going to have a quick look while you're uh, jabbering. But uh, we've got a few different bits here, and a lot of them have, like, flavour, which is pretty cool. Now, the ones I kind of have a lot of issue with is the weapon-based ones. So there's one called Gunner, which is based on firearms, one called Piercer, which is piercing weapons, as you can imagine. But like if you take the piercing one, so add strength or dex by one. So it's kind of like a half feat, really, Could you get half an ASI as well. Once per turn, when you hit a creature with an attack, it deals piercing damage. You can re-roll one of the attack's damage dice. Eh, that, that's kind of nice. Um, it's sort of like that savage attacker or whatever, but a lot better because you can pretty much do it, I think, per once per round, which I don't know if you can do with savage attacker. And you also get... When you score a critical hit that deals piercing damage, uh, you can roll one additional damage die when determining the extra piercing damage the target takes. That's fine, and basically all of these, um, there's like Slasher and Bludgeoner or whatever, they all have some sort of extra effect on a critical hit. But I don't know how easy it is to build a weapon-based sort of crit fisher in, in D&D. I don't think those builds come up that often, and they're generally not 
that effective. The only ones I can really think of is like Warlock that gets a lot from crits because if you have like Hexes up and Hexblade's Curse, plus you get a lot of attacks from Eldritch Blast, um, you can sort of get a lot of damage out of your crits already. But for a melee build, I'd only think this would work really well if you could really consistently get advantage on um, a lot of your attacks. So I, I'm thinking like a um, fighter samurai with a bow uh, with elven accuracy on it. Mm-hmm. So you can use your once per... Well, I think you can do it three times per long rest where you get advantage on all your attacks. And because each of those attacks has advantage that you now actually roll three times with elven accuracy. So you're probably going to get a crit out of there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Or obviously any weapon that gives you a higher crit range or champion. But I just think those are pretty niche builds to have all these feats revolving around them. And now they do stuff outside of the critical hit thing, but not enough to warrant even a half feat, in my opinion. Because... Increasing your strength or dex by one, that's only useful if you have an odd number, which mm-hmm. you probably won't unless you're really looking ahead to incorporate some of these feats. And anytime you have an odd number, you're sort of being inefficient until you round that off and get the next bonus. So it's, it's not something I know a lot of people will do. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the, the weapon ones anyway. I mean, how do you feel about it? I'm not too unhappy about them. I think on... The idea of being able to throw in a little bit of extra of another class onto your character sounds appealing, but I do think when you actually look at them, they are quite uh, situational. And and what I mean is you've either planned your build ahead and you've gone, I'm going to take this, or you just happen to have built a character that could benefit quite well from that feat. I think more half feats in D&D is not, is not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing to have those because there are times when you sit there going, oh, I've got these two stats and they're not, you know, they're odd numbers and oh, I've got this one stat that's not. And that can be a problem. So I think half feats isn't a bad thing. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. I suppose, I suppose, but then a lot of people will round off those feats. Even if you roll for stats and you get some odd numbers, you'll mm. generally round those off in character creation with your the stats you get from your race or whatever, right? Yeah. And if you have, t- if you have two half ones, you're not going to get a half feat. You're going to use an ASI to get both of them up to um, yeah, like true. A, a, an, e- an even number. And like some of them, like, like shield training. So again, it's a half feat, strength, dex, or con by one. Uh, you gain proficiency with shields. In combat, you can don or doff a shield as a free, intera- uh, free object interaction on your turn. Okay, so that's kind of handy. You say like, okay, I've got my shield uh, out, but I need my hands free to cast some spells, right? So I can don and doff it as a free action. But then... If you have the spellcasting or pack magic feature, you can use a shield as a spellcasting focus. So you don't even need to use it anyway. So, so what, what's the point of the donning and doffing for, for as a free action? Yeah, so this d- is this is a, the shield training feat, I think, is for the two different types of players. Either one that wants to use a shield while they're spellcasting, so they take it for that final bullet point, or there's a character who's, for some ungodly reason, two-weapon fighting but also has a shield. Or, or two-hand weapon, or, you know, dual-wielding, something like that, but they've also got a shield for some weird yeah, reason. Yeah, but that's still not going to work in the action economy, because say you've got two weapons, and you're like, okay, I attack with both weapons, and then I drop my sword, 
and don my yeah. shield as a free action mm-hmm. and then what are you going to do next round like you're kind of not okay. being that yeah. efficient it's just saying. a bit it's a bit of a strange one that one i just think if yeah okay so you get the shield proficiency i don't know if they're because i know there was another shield feat like the one where you could do the bash or whatever yeah there is but i don't i, I, what it's I don't know if uh, i don't know if that gave you proficiency or not um so maybe it's just there for that the one i do think is really good is the uh, tandem tactician so this one you can use the help action as a bonus action similar to like the was it mastermind rogue um when you use the help action to aid an ally in attacking a creature increase the range of the help action by 10 feet mm-hmm. so it's essentially a 15 foot action now because you have your five foot action already mm-hmm. additionally you can help two allies targeting the same creature within range when you use the help action in this way so like that is so efficient for your action economy so you've, you've got to make sure it's a big creature it's going to survive multiple hits or whatever and then you can help from 15 feet away so you don't need to be in the fray you can still be throwing daggers shooting arrows or whatever you haven't got to be in melee with the, the thing and then the next two people who attack it both have advantage like that is so good yeah that is and if you put one. this it if you put this on a character, say like a a fighter, which is has bonus action uh, abilities, but it's not using them every round, like a oftentimes like a, a cleric would be with a spiritual weapon or whatever, mm-hmm. have someone who who's got some room in their in their uh, their bonus action. Like I probably wouldn't take this on a rogue, just because you know you're hiding and what and moving a lot more on each of your turns, so using that bonus action, but. On, I'd say on a fire, on a paladin, it'd even be pretty good because you don't cast bonus action spells all that often, uh, especially at, early in the game when you have a limited uh, spell pool. It's that's just so good. Just you're basically giving half the party advantage every turn. Yeah, and you don't even need to endanger yourself to do it. <laughs> it's so good. That feels like one of the ones that's going to not survive testing yeah do you know what i mean yeah um, I, I don't know i mean it's I, I don't think it's game breaking anyway because at the end of the day advantage is really good but it's not like the be all end all yeah of of an encounter but you could i mean if say you had a, a party of like a i don't know a wizard a fighter a paladin and a barbarian right mm-hmm. so they walk into a bar the, yeah, well, yeah, like the wizard's in the back, so you don't, he's, he's giving saving throws, so you don't really need to give him advantage, but then you can just give, the, say, the barbarian and the paladin, if you're the fighter, advantage every round. Mm. The, the, the barbarian won't even need to reckless attack anymore, or the, or the barbarian uh, could give it to the, um, the fighter and the paladin, which would be even better than the paladin can, like, crit fish all the time. Uh, and the barbarian's only he's only going to not do it one round when he's getting his ra- rage up and running. So it's just just good. Yeah. It's just really good. It makes sense. It does make sense. And I think out of all of them, that might be the the, the cream of the crop. That's the best one in there. Um, I, don't know. I love the flavor of it as well. Like you, you're this tactical mastermind on the battlefield, yeah. like sh- shouting out sort of commands, commands yeah. to your allies or pointing out weak spots or, you know, like go, throwing stones. I don't know. Y- yeah. You know, go, go for the Achilles or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty flavorful. Uh, I mean, speaking of flavorful, we have chef. Oh, okay. Which is, okay. which is just bad. Don't come at me for chef. I love this. This, <sighs> this feat is so adorable. Okay. So oh, look, look, time look, and look, effort whoa, whoa, spent. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Mastering the culinary art 
has paid off and you gain the following benefits, Joe, all right? It's a half feat. You increase your con or your wisdom by one to a max of 20. You gain proficiency with cook's utensils if you don't already have it. And if you're a chef, you probably should. As part of the short rest, you can cook a special meal, provided that you have the ingredients and the cook utensils on hand. You prepare enough food for a number of creatures equal to four plus your proficiency bonus. So you can do your whole a whole big old feast for a whole party of like eight people. At the end of the short rest, any creature that eats the food and spends one or more hit die to regain hit points gets an extra 1d8 hit points. So nice, they get a little boost to healing. Wonderful. Hasn't cost anything, really, has it? With one hour of well, work... Well, it's cost you a feat, but... Uh, all right, okay, okay. carry on. I mean, there's an argument to be made there. With one hour of work, or when you finish a long rest, you can cook a number of treats... <laughs> <laughs> equal to your proficiency bonus it's like, it's like your party members are dogs yeah i know hey would you want a treat these um these special treats last eight hours after being made and a creature can use a bonus action to eat one of those and regain temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus so what a maximum of five temporary hit points wonderful it's so sweet and wonderful and and the flavor of being a nice little chef around a campfire looking after <sighs> your friends that you're adventuring with cooking them food and little snacks to eat along the go you know you're Warlock gets a little bit grumpy and you say, here, hang have, on, this, hang have on. this chocolate bar I made you. Uh, hang on, look, look. So we had quite an, an extensive argument <laughs> about this in, in the group chat uh, because I know, I, I just know what my party's like. I know they're... They want it for the role they, play. They, lo- they, they love to ruin their characters with choices like this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I had, to, I had to jump in there quick before anyone went down that road. <laughs> And um, I failed. It seems they're all going to be taking it now. I mean, look, is, I, I agree with you that this has problems because it it, okay. it looks <sighs> like it's going to be good. Like, yeah, OK, I can give you an extra D8 hit points for not much. And I can give you temporary hit points out and about on the move. Yeah, but That's like, great. Okay, at, at unless you're doing like, look, unless you're doing like four short rests per long rest, which I don't think many parties are doing, no. your hit dice are going to be perfectly fine enough to sustain you throughout your short rest pretty much get you to max how often do you go in a short rest and go oh no i've not got enough hit dice to get back to full never basically okay. is when that happens you do so the if one there's eight, a warlock in your group and uh, you're getting in a lot of fights <laughs> well look basically never happens really and is pretty useless that 1d8 meh, not great and then you've got okay so up to my proficiency bonus so let's say you're what mid-levels is or up until nine is you no up until level eight you have a plus three right yeah to your proficiency i think yeah nine is when you so, get the four when you get the four so only once you're at ninth level can you even give this to every member of your party saying you're going on a party of four mm-hmm. which is like the, the, standard, the base yeah and then what happens bonus action Five HP at best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> five HP. <laughs> I just don't. It's gonna go. Uh, yeah, it's gonna go in one hit. That's the problem. See, it sounds like it's th- a great idea, but and here's the thing: I'm not knocking the thematics of it, and I think you could make this really good if you could make different treats or whatever, right? So maybe you could do. Um, you, you maybe it's your ability mod right in uh treats so it's going to be hopefully a bit higher than than your proficiency maybe you add your proficiency to it Uh, i'd have to think about the balancing and then you can choose from a variety of treats or maybe you roll on like a table or something right Mm -hmm. and i think these could have different effects so one of them could be healing like that that would be one of the worst ones 
you could have uh, abilities that maybe you have advantage on saving throws. Uh, like you eat it, and for the next eight hours or whatever, you have advantage on a specific saving throw. So maybe it's not random, but maybe the cook can, if you know what you're going up against, like, hey guys, go about to go funch- fight a bunch of mind flayers. Here's have a bunch of these treats. You'll all have advantage on your next uh, intelligence saving throw, mm-hmm. right? Just give it a little bit more, uh, and also then when you add choice, you add dis- add decisions to be made. Then you're you're creating more interesting gameplay because the chef's got to think. Okay, hmm, am I going to cook the um, the flayed eyeball for intelligence uh, <laughs> saves, <laughs> you know, or am I going to do uh, drop in a little bit of poison in there and give them a con save? Yeah. Hey, you know? hey, chef, like- what's what's for dinner tonight? Oh, we've got garlic flayed eyeball with poison relish. But look, it's good for you, I promise. Yeah, it'll help uh, you in, in combat. <laughs> so uh, that could be pretty fun, but I just think, as it stands, not great. I yeah. do think the... I, oh, go on. I, well, I, I was just going to say, I agree with you. I think it, it needs a little bit more. It, it looks like it's a cute, fun little thing, but it doesn't really have any weight on on gameplay once you get past that third level cap especially once you're past five for sure but all i want joe is a full class called chef that is built around being a true support to your party that's all i'm asking for okay that's that's I, what the next I, class needs to be i mean i feel like it, it could be a bard subclass that would make Ooh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of sense bard, a lot of sense. Uh, college of cookery <laughs> yeah i mean it works someone you know, needs to when, make that Whenever you have uh, sort of a burst of alliteration like that, mm. you know, you know you're it's on gonna the right work. tracks. Yeah. Um, well, one I do kind of like, actually, just before we move on, is on. the uh, Eldritch Adept. So basically the sort of flavor of a certain class, and this one being Warlock. So you unlocked Eldritch Power in yourself. You learn one Eldritch Invocation of your choice from the Warlock class. If the Invocation has a prerequisite, you can choose the Invocation only if you're a Warlock, only if you meet the prerequisite. So what's cool about this one is yeah you can get it as another class as long as you can cast spells mm-hmm. but obviously you'll only be able to get the basic uh invocations but there, which could there be there fine are a lot of those there's a lot of options there, there there's a lot but what i like about this is this just gives warlocks something to dump all their asis into once they max out charisma yeah because you can just get loads more invocations so what do you get as a warlock like four asis i think so i've got five at level nine no, no, not invocations. I oh, mean, like size, um, yeah, probably. As, I yeah, think four, I, th- I yeah. think, I think, yeah, four, yeah. So, like, you could start off uh, as a wall. Say you're, yeah. Say you get, I don't know, you're a class that has, or a, a, what am I thinking here? Race that has plus two to charisma. Mm-hmm. I think there's a few of those in there. Uh, you could potentially get you know, 20 uh, charisma at level one or at least 20 charisma by level four. I mean, even if you right? just roll stats and you roll quite well. Yeah, but let's just say you take an, um, you get like a 16 from what point by mm-hmm. uh, or whatever you can get to get a 16. Then you uh, you bump that up to an 18 and then at level four, you bump that to a 20. And then you've got three more um, ASIs between now and level 20 that yeah you could spend on other stuff you could bump up maybe your decks or whatever a bit better AC but you get three more uh, invocations and they can be changed every the, level the, the, yeah and they can be yeah and whenever you gain a level you can replace the invocations uh, with another one from the warlock class so you can just get loads I mean I like 
it'd be pretty cool to play a variant human and take this at a uh, first level. Mm-hmm. So you've just got an extra invocation from the get go. Um, do you get do you get invocations at level one as a warlock? Uh, oh god, now you're asking. Let me check. Because I think you'd have to have. You get spells at level one, though, don't you, as a warlock? Uh, yes, you get invocations at level two. So you get uh, first level you... your otherworldly patron and pack magic, and then level two you get your uh, invocations. Do you have spells at level one? Uh, yes. Any spells? You have one okay, spell. so yeah. Well, there you go. Then you could take a uh, an invocation at level one, and then just obviously, just like any other invocations, as you level, you just get um, you can change it up, uh, so you can by the end of the game, have all those really powerful invocations, and you could get loads of them. With an, an extra three is quite a lot, because, I mean, how many do you get at max uh, as a warlock? Invocations? Not, yeah, it's, even at level 20, it's not, a, like, a ridiculous amount, is it? Uh, the maximum... Hang on, I'm just having a look here. Let me scroll down. Uh, well, okay, so at 20th level, you get eight, but you hit that at 18th. So you could end up, and let's let's count these ASIs now, so there's uh, one at fourth, two is eighth, three at twelfth, and then, and then the fourth 16. is at sixteenth, and then you get a fifth one at nineteenth. So you could end up with, oh, you're looking at like it. maybe an extra five if you dump into it uh, with every ASI. But let's say you're averaging, you're probably going to put three in. Let's say you use two of them to, imbo- to boost your stats. Yeah, that's I still mean, another fair, three you, invocations. You... That's still 11 invocations in total. Yeah, because I mean, even if obviously at max you could get an extra six if you dumped them all and was a variant human, but let's say you use two of those to um, up your stats, that's still an extra four. Okay, like that's but pretty good. Here's the problem: are there twelve actually worth it invocations in the book? <laughs> oh, see, this I don't know. I don't know. I've not really played much Warlock, what, but what I'm I, just uh, gone. I'm just saying it's it's not. I like feats that are very specific to a class mm-hmm. and give it much more options kind of like how the you can get the battle master um maneuvers as a fighter and obviously you can get them as another class but they're only ever going to be like d6s mm-hmm. or whatever they start off as but if you're a high level battle master and then you take the feat you're just getting another d12 of um yeah, absolutely maneuver maneuver die so the value is actually much higher if you're already in that class so i kind of like that actually what i do like about the eldritch adept flavor wise as well is that it says you you unlock eldritch power within yourself and i like the idea that you could be a human with this this and really really play into this feat and get it a load of times and be this kind of occult researcher rather than a warlock that has you know signed their soul away to another worldly patron i kind of wish that was a warlock subclass where it was all about research rather than than signing a deal yeah you could flavor it a lot of ways i like the idea that um I don't know, your great-great-great-great-grandfather lost his soul to Cthulhu <laughs> and it's just kind of lingering within you still, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've made no pact or anything, but that, that, that stain on your heritage is still there and it's, it's manifesting itself with this uh, slight power mm. increase, which yeah. I think is kind of cool. I like that. Uh, it's, inter- it's interesting they made a gunner one because... I don't know how popular firearms are, but they're not because it, it like yeah they're not that big in the game, are they? It even says you gain proficiency in firearms. Brackets see firearms in the Dungeon Master's <laughs> Guide because they're not yeah. they're not even part of the standard game. Yeah, they're really. not in the player's handbook. They are an optional. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it depends. There are uh, with recent 
adventures uh, for example um dungeon um what am i trying to say my words are gone uh dragon heist has Bregan Darth is a faction in it and a lot of their flavor is that they they carry firearms they come from for they you know they know lantanese wizards who have who have perfected how to use and create firearms so they they use them and it's sort of an unknown technology and that means there is the option for a character to pick that up and use it and i guess they the idea is well it's not an actual part of the game but we're you know you can come across them in these adventures so we need to give them something because there's definitely going to be a a faction however small of players that see it and go oh i've got this gun now i'd like to use it but what's the point i i'm not very good at it so here's here's how you Mm. you improve that and make it a viable option see my question is because i can't remember i haven't really looked up much in the way of the guns and the options so basically the abilities it gives you is against like a half feet Mm -hmm. so you get a bit of a stat bump and then you ignore the loading property of firearms being within five feet of a hostile creature doesn't impose disadvantage on your range attack so it's a bit like uh crossbow expert and crossbow expert in that you can your your range doesn't really matter anymore in terms of how close you are and then you ignore the loading property of firearms now presumably the loading property was in there to balance them in the fact that they're they're like slightly better as standard than other weapons like for instance the heavy crossbow is basically useless because of the loading property but it's because it's like a d12 does like a lot of damage Mm -hmm. i think it's a d12 anyway same with the hand crossbow even though it's a d6 like without the loading property it becomes like a real rapid fire weapon um and especially when you get crossbow expert you can attack lots and lots of times around that makes it really good so I'm wondering if you get rid of that loading property, do the firearms actually become then more desirable than the other ranged weapons, or does it just make them like usable at this point? It just makes like them the, usable uh, because the loading property means that you can only do one attack per attack action. So if you're yeah. if you've got multiple attacks and you're choosing to use this firearm, you're hindering yourself. So the idea is that okay, if you really want to build a a class or a character around this particular form of combat then here's a feat that lets you you know not fall off and only do one attack per turn basically means you you learn how to make a magazine you just strap it on top of the gun see if that's the case and they're not particularly powerful like as standard like i'm looking at them now so uh, i don't know if this is uh no i don't know if that's canon um i'm just searching them up now but i don't like that if they are just okay and this what this feat does is it just makes them viable Mm. because at that point i'm like so you're basically taxing me a feat just to play this certain flavor of character i want to play i'm not really getting any um... i'm not really getting any benefit from it i'm just being brought up to the level of other range users unless they have something extra to them that's like let me really quite good check the damage i i I don't think they do i don't think they do uh because i i remember when james and i were building out our our world we um because they were available through dragon heist we decided to make our own rule set for them um because we we just weren't we weren't keen on it so we wanted them to be you know special things that that you could decide to use if you wanted to but they had they had we we put in like they have an issue and like they might they might misfire and things like you know and they can do extra damage and things like that so we built our own system around them to make them interesting uh, options for combat that that were risky because that was kind of the the flavor we were going for i think in 
the DMG. I can't actually find it without getting up and going and pulling down my DMG from the shelf, but I think... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I found some here now. So it's just be interesting to look at. So, okay, so a pistol does uh, a D10. A musket does a D12, uh, which is loading and two-handed. Yeah. Uh, then we've got, like, futuristic weapons and whatnot, which I don't think would be too... Um, yeah, if you want to get and some then you've got, guns. Do you think anyone's actually used that rule? And then you've got uh, more modern ones, like you've got pistols, automatic, revolvers. I don't know if you... Shotguns and whatnot. I don't know if you'd have any of these in your fancy setting, but maybe you'd have a revolver. Yeah, uh, yeah a revolver, you could, especially if you so, want someone that wants to play a gunslinger. So that has reload, yeah. and it has six shots. So that is like kind of... You don't even need the feet for that because it doesn't have loading, right? It has so you can fire six shots and then you need to spend an action to reload, and that does two two d eight. So objectively better than other range weapons, but I don't know if you'd have that in your game. I think really you're looking at more like the pistols and the muskets, aren't you? Really? Yeah. And those, the pistol is uh, one die higher than a. Uh, than a longbow, so it goes from a D8 to a D10. The range is 30, 90, so obviously it doesn't have the range of a longbow. And then the musket has is 40, 120, so slightly longer than most 30 feet range weapons, mm. and that does a D12. So you're getting like a slightly higher die, and then sometimes slightly higher range. I mean, look, I think this is kind of there if it, it, it's there as an option if characters and players want to pursue that form of of combat i guess if i i mean if i had a character if i had a player that really wanted to use guns and stuff i would i would probably just waver the loading thing anyway because it basically makes them unusable yeah uh and i don't know if i would cost them a whole feat to do that maybe maybe something i mean it is a what is it it's a half feet isn't it so it's yeah, not so like the end of the world but i'd mm, i don't know i just I don't really like the idea that if a player wants to play this type of character, they have to take this feat or to even be viable. They run so you can s- variant human. Yeah, but then it's still costing you a feat that you could get with something else. Mm. Like you can use a longbow without taking any range feats. You can use a hand crossbow without taking any range feats, and they're still viable weapons, right? Yeah. Uh, hand crossbow less so, but you can still use it. You could at least fire two shots before you have to do anything, one in each hand. And I just think that, like, costing them something... And the thing is about hand crossbow, yeah, you kind of do need to take the crossbow expert feat for it to be viable, but it doesn't just bring you up to other weapons. You, like, exceed them Mm. because it becomes really good. You actually get an extra attack for taking that feat on top of what you'd normally be doing. So it's really quite worth it. Plus, you get that no disadvantage within five feet. It's a really good feat. But with this one, all it really does is makes it so the guns are just usable at this point. Mm. So I would probably want to add something else in there that gives them like maybe maybe some something sort like, of like you can you can crit on a nineteen and a twenty because they're they're I mean you're using guns, you know. Yeah, or if that's too powerful, maybe like okay, so being within five feet of a hostile creature doesn't impose disadvantage on attack rolls. Then you could have something like firing within five feet of a creature. Uh, increases your crit range to 18 to 20. So then you're like really incentivized for getting right up in their face mm. and shooting. Mm. That could be fun, like uh, incentivizing a certain type of play style. Um, or maybe 
it gets rid of the or changes them to have like the longbow uh, or the sharpshooter quality where you don't get disadvantage on long range. Yeah. So then you can be you can be that sniper that's shooting from see that would work feet away with a musket as well because they are meant to be long longer range, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, what's uh, the musket range here is, if I scroll down, I just had it, um, yeah, yeah, like 120, yeah, which is pretty can. far, yeah. right, it's, pre- it's pre- pretty far away, so you could, um, you know, shoot from 120 feet away and have no disadvantage, that's, that's pretty fun, I think. Yeah, that uh, works, that works quite well. Okay. So, yeah, well, look, I don't know. Um, the, uh, there, there are a couple I want to talk about before we... Before I jump into those, um, I don't know if you know this, Joe, but uh, recently adventurers uh, came back from a long and and uh, trepidatious journey deep down into a dungeon full of dice, and they they came back with some really nice stuff, and I, I thought we could talk about it. I mean, I'd be happy to, Ben. You know, the, the, those fine folks need speaking about. They really do. Um, the Dice Dungeon UK is uh, a really, really. Uh, quite nice website actually since they got a, a little bit of a, a refresh a couple of weeks back and if you haven't been to have a look just give it a google you'll find them they're like the first result that's good seo management well done guys um but <laughs> they they brought out sorry this, that's my cv stuff coming in there um the uh, the new resin sets are really really nice including and i don't know if you've seen these joe uh the twilight sky pink ink and candy floss sets Ooh, I have seen some of them actually, man. Because we, you know, we are uh, blessed to be getting some of the behind the scenes. That is true. Uh, I forget. I forget. We've seen one on of these. those. Yeah. Uh, you know, now we've made it to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like that profitable and- web uh, podcast. <laughs> 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 but they're uh, no, they're really, really, really nice. Obviously, they have a different like flair to the the metal dice, mm. which are sort of their own beast, but. Obviously, there's just some stuff you can't really do with metal dice. Metal only really comes in a few sort of different flavors. Well, that's the thing. You can't <laughs> you know? do the fun sort of inside interior dice, like the dice that are kind of see-through that have bits inside them um, when you've got metal, because metal tends to be opaque. Yeah, it's not really not necessarily porous, is it? No. You know, the, uh, the metal. But yeah, I, I like that. I like when you have some of those dice where you... You can almost look in into like a little universe, aren't you? Oh, that is, yeah. They they do look uh, great when they've got stuff inside, and there are some resin dice with that as well. Some really nice uh, the butterfly set. Um, there's a really nice autumnally kind of feeling uh, looking set, the red butterfly set, which I, I kind of I don't know. I'm I'm kind of being basic basic girl with a with a starbucks coffee here but i love those autumnal uh, coffee flavors and uh, colors that kind of looks like i could be sat in costa rolling up some characters with those lovely red and orange dice i mean i wouldn't do that because people would think i was a weirdo sat my own rolling dice but if i were to do that i'd go with that set Mm. i don't know where i went there i sort of went into my own fantasy for a little bit but uh well, is that not what this entire podcast is about, Ben? True. If you head over to the Dice Dungeon website and you have a look at these uh, metal and resin dice sets, uh, then don't forget you've got the the option to use the code We Speak Common at checkout for ten percent off while supporting us. And actually, while you're there, if you click on the uh, the little button that says Adventure Log, there's a nice little article that we wrote that you can read that's been up for a week um, that tells you all about what we think is the most important aspect of running D&D games. So there you go. If you've been listening to this podcast for any period of time, you'll know exactly what it is because we always harp on about it. Mm. And uh, I'd say it's almost a crux. 
for us now. We just uh, we just can't get away from it. Yeah, when, when whenever we have a problem, we just go ah. But don't forget, it's this. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, if someone could, you know, someone could call up and think, you know, um, my my wife has left me, my life is in tatters. What what do I do? And I say, well, the thing is, you just need to you need to do this, mm. and uh, things will just flow things? better. Yeah, exactly. Th- things will just flow better. You know, your players will be more engaged. What? what? You know? My in, in wife's your... left me. What are you talking about players? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but just be sure, you know, take that variant human feet at uh, uh, level one um, and you should be I, fine. You should avoid any divorce in the future. I'm 45 years old. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm afraid your build is already sort of broken at this point. I think you have to restart. Oh, no. So I went into the Artificer spell list to work out why you would take the Artificer initiate feet and I think I've worked it out. Go on. So, Artificial Initiate, you learn one cantrip of your choice from the Artificer spell list, and you learn one first level spell of your choice from that spell list. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability for those spells, and whenever you gain a level, you can replace one of the spells with another of the same level from the Artificer spell list. So, you're like, okay, well, why do I want a free cantrip and a free first level spell? I had a look at the list. It's not too out there. The cantrip list is quite good. They are... Um, they're, they're a nice little mix of, I think, every single class really you've got like acid splash and firebolt and frostbite and and things like that poison spray you've also got the old um dancing lights light guidance uh, mending message so there's a nice little mix in there sure and a free cantrip it's not a bad thing the first level spells you're looking at absorb elements alarm catapult cure wounds uh detect magic disguise self expeditious retreat featherfall grease jump so there's a there's a a nice utility to it the bonus is that you can use that spell for free you don't use a spell slot so you cast the feats first level spell without a spell slot but then you have to do a long rest before you can cast it that way again however you can cast it with a spell slot if you have access to one so it's but a free at will spell yeah, increases your resource a little bit, I suppose. I just found something interesting, Ben. I was just scrolling through our, our Twitter feed. Oh, okay. Um, and I saw a poll uh, that I have voted in, but I'd be interested to see what you fit. When so tieflings in your game, uh-huh. do they have feet? Do they have hooves? What they have feet? That's what I put. But many people have them as having hooves. Why? Like the de- like because they are sort of devil spawn, Ben, and the devil is often depicted as having, you know, hooves. I mean, have you ever seen Tenacious D? I mean, you would know. Yeah, I've seen Tenacious D. I know what you're going for: half goat, half demon. But like, not that is apparently that's how they're depicted a lot. Look, don't don't shoot them. Not in the PHB. That. They're not though. They got feet. Have they? I'm pretty I sure. I haven't actually looked to be sure. I'm gonna I'm but, gonna uh... Google. Hang on, no, hang on. You've 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 really thrown a spanner in the works here, Joe. Let me. I'm, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I yes, have feet. They're wearing the whole boots ho- in the art. The whole hoof thing freaks me out, but apparently a lot of people run it as as hooves. No, those people are wrong. <laughs> I know that I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. You know, play the game you, the way you want to play it. But I'm looking nowhere. I have scrolled pretty far down on this this Google image search. Nowhere do these tieflings <laughs> have hooves. They are all wearing human boots. They have feet. Hang on, five tiefling. Uh, <laughs> None of these. They all have feet. <laughs> but maybe they have hooves. But they're just wearing boots. No, there's one here in sandals. He's got toes. <laughs> well, well. well <laughs> I'm there sorry. You go, then, because... those, those people are weirdos. 
<laughs> the, the question has been answered. Yeah, the whole who thing freaks me out. I don't think I could. I could. Uh, what a weird to be fair, tangent I, I, you just took us on there. I mostly just play humans or a stretch and elf. So my uh, yeah, my role playing ability is quite limited in that sense. You're pretty, pretty vanilla, boring. aren't you? I am. Yeah. I am. Oh, oh, be honest. I, I stand corrected. I have found a one image of a weird, cute tiefling girl with hooves, but it is pretty far down on the list. So yeah, I feel like I'm not. I'm not really in that community to sort of appreciate that. No, I don't think. No. But to be fair, whatever floats your boat, and uh, and yeah, I have it's just be found feet for us. I have just found. <laughs> that's a weird phrase. I have <laughs> just found a picture of the PHB tiefling from the book, and it's a female tiefling wearing boots with normal human-like feet. So I'm sorry. Well, yeah. It, yeah. We we hear it. We speak common. <laughs> we love feet. <laughs> <laughs> we reject those who's we're feet men thank you very much oh i found what okay so there's now been two pictures of hooves so i think i've proved my uh, point it's feet all the way for us um well i'm glad we cleared that up <laughs> <laughs> okay there's one final one final feet i want to talk about not feet as in with toes feet as in f-e-a-t um uh-huh. but <laughs> thanks for <laughs> making me have to clarify that um and that is the metamagic adept feat i really like this one so you have to be a spellcaster uh but you learn how to exert your will on your spells to alter how they function and you gain the following benefits you learn two metamagic options of your choice from the sorcerer spell list you can only use one metamagic option on a spell when you cast it unless the option says otherwise and when you gain a level you can replace your metamagic options with another one from the sorcerer list you gain two uh, sorcery points to spend on metamagic um and you regain them when you finish a long rest so basically i'm imagining taking my wizard which i love playing i you know i love being a wizard i love the utility i love the versatility i just like my spells joe but the one Mm -hmm. thing about sorcerers that i like but i would never succumb to playing a sorcerer to get access to them is the meta magic options so i just bolt those on top of the wizard and instantly i can careful spell my fireball i can twin spell my my haste and i can feel a little bit better at magic well if if the sorcerer wasn't already useless enough and now it's completely redundant well yes uh, it does do that but no i agree at first i didn't think it was that good because i was kind of thinking along the lines of like you don't have enough points to use this on a lot of your high level spells and that is true of things like twinning spells you could only twin a second level spell so you could still do like a hold person but i don't know if it's worth the feat to do that just once but you can do things like careful spell Mm -hmm. and you could do that twice because it only costs one point regardless of the spell level really good for things like um hypnotic pattern hypnotic pattern's so strong but obviously it's only downside is you need to get the jump on guys and and set it off before all your party rushes in mm-hmm. and uh, because otherwise, you know, you're sort of rolling the dice at that point and things could go bad. But if you could careful spell it, that's like you just drop it on your head mm. and everyone stops fighting and everyone's stunned. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, yeah, really, really, really good. good. Obviously, obviously very useful for things like fireball and whatnot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I really like that. The only could one... You, you are yeah. missing out on the metamagic list is you can't use heightened spell because that needs three sorcery points. Um, that, uh, what does that do? Forces a creature to make a saving throw at disadvantage. Dis- so, you know, I mean, it's a nice one, but it's three sorcery points. The only other one, as you mentioned, is twin spell. You can only do up to second level spells. But even then, it's still a nice little, an extra, you know? 
Yeah, no, it's nice. Um, I still think uh, the, the only problem with this, though, is does a lot of this, like where it says um, up to your spell ca- spell casting ability modifier or whatever, mm. that's still going to be charisma, though, isn't it? So no. you're going to have to... You Well, if you look at... Um, well, I, d- I don't know, because it doesn't say on the, the feet, right? Like, for instance, on... Um, careful spell isn't it like uh you can basically shield a number of people up to your spell casting uh, right what? okay no so here's what it is so on it doesn't yeah so it doesn't say your spell casting modifier the actual wording is you spend a sorcery point and choose a number of creatures up to your charisma modifier minimum of one so you're still using charisma so if that's what yeah, i'm saying yeah so i guess yeah so it doesn't make I guess that's how it levels it, balances it out, doesn't it? Because it doesn't make a sorcerer completely useless because if you want to really build into being a meta magic amazing sorcerer, then you want to be a sorcerer because you use charisma as your spellcasting mod. But if you've got a wizard that hasn't dumped charisma, which unfortunately my has, then go for it. Or if you're playing a warlock or a paladin or, you know, one of those charisma based... Wait, paladin? Is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Paladin's crew, or uh, even yeah. um, Bard, Metamagic Adept on a Bard Mate, could be very Bard, powerful. Bard's perfect. Yeah, Bard's perfect for it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like you say, intelligence. Um, sorry, not intelligence. Uh, charisma is often dumped in a lot of uh, characters, but I could see a wizard that has a high in, uh, charisma, like gonna... sort of the re- the real face of the party. Yeah. It's got the intelligence, and you know, it just does all the social. Um, Roles. Let me see what so charisma that, my wizard's got because I can't remember off so the top that, of my head. That would be good. But even even if you had like a plus two and you could shield two people, that would be kind of good. Oh no! Um, my I just like the I like the idea that you could just drop a, a meteor storm on your head and be all right. My wizard, um, think... my wizard has a charisma of plus one, so it, it kind of yeah. throws the idea out the window for me. I'm afraid. But I'm level yeah. six. When do I get another ASL boost? Would I be able to... I mean... Is it going to be worth it, though? not. No, let's no, be honest. No. That's a shame. But for my for my Warlock, on the other hand, could be very powerful. Bard, though. Bard is really good, especially with Magical Secrets. Mm. You could get some, some spells that really uh, gel nicely with this. I like to say, I just like the idea of just dropping a... A, a meteor storm What would be nice as well, head. if you were building a wizard from scratch from level one go human variant take this at level one make sure you don't dump charisma and you can just build out this really interesting wizard with metamagic from the beginning yeah it's pretty fun um like people say obviously wizard is single attribute dependent Mm. but i also think that's not particularly true because you still need a decent con because uh you have no you have no hp and you probably want a decent dex as well because your ac is not going to be that high otherwise because you don't you don't have armor so uh while you could dump a lot into charisma, it, it'd be tricky. I think it, it'd be really fun to have this on like a really a well rolled character where you've just rolled for stats and got quite lucky, and you can afford to have that that higher charisma. Because I do think that careful spell is the standout there. That's just really really useful, um, and it basically gives you the same abilities of like a um, an evocation wizard, but not just evocation spells, mm-hmm. but other like debilitating spells which is pretty fun uh so you can do things that i think were basically not intended but are quite powerful yeah yeah absolutely i think it is my favorite on the entire list to be honest the the idea of building a metamagic wizard is something that excites me uh, i'll have to go with the tandem tactician yeah, just because i think that it is very good though isn't it that's a problem 
I just I hope that I hope that makes it in it doesn't change because I don't think it's particularly broken. I just think it's really good. I mean, Joe, at this point, how many of these have we had and we still haven't got a second Xanathar's? So, you know, they must be they they must be working on it and collating a lot of this stuff. I'm hoping uh, that but the next announcement that we get in what is it like November or October will be a second Xanathar's style book. Well, I'd be I'd be interested to see if um it has as many spells as the current Xanathers because they haven't really done too much in the way of new spells in UA. No. Whereas they did a fair amount of that before, and then obviously we had a bunch of spells in Xanathars, and some of the, like, the best spells, actually, some really fun ones. Mm. Um, so I, hopefully a little bit better balance than things like Dance Macabre and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, we can't, so we can't talk about that spell anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I think there will be a new book that comes out. I don't know if it'll be so subclass heavy. I think it'll just be more options heavy. Yeah, probably. And just have, like, lots of feats and stuff like that. I want a magic item book, Ben. I want a new, like, a new book that's just mm-hmm. magic items and lots of them. I agree. Because cause I feel like the... We've had the same ones now. Obviously, you can make your own and whatnot. But we've had the same ones in the DNG for ages now. And they're all a bit vanilla. Yeah, all a bit, I, a bit standard. I do find myself going to third-party options for magic items, and I do find myself buying adventures for their magic items too, which is not how it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the ones in adventures are like generally really creative. Yeah, in in how they're built. Well, I mean, obviously, they're built for a specific scenario. Look at Tomb of Annihilation. You get. The Ring of Winter, this amazing artifact that's like a proper lore-heavy item, that's not even a main part of the storyline. It's just, it's like a side thing that you stumble across. What does it do, Ben? Uh, the do Ring of Winter is like a sentient magic ring that gives you all of these ice and snow and cold-based powers, but it's... Um, I can't remember if it's evil or if it's just got an agenda and it, it, you like fight for control and artist Simba is um, a character who I think first appeared in Storm King's Thunder um, and then his storyline that he is like on, it continues you, through Tomb of Annihilation and you can you, you think that, that you think they'd put that in um, Icewind, wouldn't you? The new one. Mm. Yeah, that's quite thematic, but maybe there'll be like a fire ring in there instead. Who knows, man? I mean, I, I just, yeah, more magic items would be great. Give look the monk sucks as it is, right? And the just druid give, give as the, well. The poor druid. Give, give, give the monks some magic items. Give the druid some magic items. Okay. Do you know? As a side note, part of me doesn't understand why there is a class restriction on magic items. I guess it's a balancing thing, right? That's that seems to be the easy answer. But why? Yeah. Well, because I think it would give you access to stuff that you shouldn't have, like uh, a cleric. You know, unless you're like cleric, for the most part, shouldn't have access to fireball. Mm. But you, you, so you don't want them picking up a, a staff that has fireballs in it, for instance, right? Yeah. Just because otherwise, I think the, the the roles that each of these classes fulfil becomes a bit muddied, and then you can feel kind of less special in your class if everyone else can do what you can do. So that's fine, so I, but like, why? So then, why have we left the monk and the druid, like the poor, these poor classes? Uh, my the druid. Yeah, I mean, the, game, at least the druid. At least the druid's got some. There's a couple of staffs, I think, that are druids. Yeah, like a staff that but grows the into a nothing. tree. Like, well done. How how great is that? <laughs> like, yeah, sure, it's thematic, but when is my druid actually going to want to grow a tree? they've got um yeah the monk's got braces of defense and that is that's literally it. yeah that is it it's kind of just a shame um 
I think the druid should have like I'd like an idea that the druid has a magic item where when it transforms into an animal, mm. uh, that animal has armor on it and it ups your AC. That's a so great any idea. any of your any of your wild shapes say have plus two AC, right? So you transform into the T Rex, but the T Rex is clad in like plate mail. That's I just cool. think that'd be co- that's really that, cool. that would that'd be fun. And then obviously the monk, I love the idea of like headbands you know Mm -hmm. uh wristbands knuckle dusters anything like that for the monk would be pretty fun i think uh special like um sashes that they could wear on their their biceps why aren't there loads of like monk specific robes like that's just missed opportunity guys come on you know i might nick that um that wild shape armor idea that's nice i like that I just thought of it on the oh, spot. Really I just thought cool. that'd be pretty cool. But I was thinking Brom, a big bear, but with armor. Brom in our party, he doesn't do a lot of fighting as an animal, though, does he? He does a lot of stealth as his animals. Yeah, but how hilarious would it be? Because he always, yeah, he always turns into like a spider or stuff, little but now mouse. he's a little spider in plate mail. Yeah, that's quite cool. Think, th- think about that. Do you think that would? I mean, he's a what is he? He's a druid circle. I get, I get the reason. Like they don't wear, they don't wear metal armor. Yeah. Right, so that's why they don't have art. Like, well, you technically can, but it's no no druid actually does wear metal armor. Mm. But I think if it was like magic, special magic metal armor that only appears when you transform, or maybe yeah, maybe they cool. they just appear with like cute armor that's made out of tree trunks, <laughs> <laughs> like a little mouse in a little wooden armor set would be so so cute. Yeah, I don't know. Nah, it'd be. And you're obsessed with sticking cute mouses in your games. You've already demolished Look, my game with your cute mouse antics, yeah, all right? It's not, it's not me, okay? Wesley chooses to turn into a mice and a mouse and hide in your pocket when you go down to the Xanathar's Guild. So, you know, put it on him, not me. Yeah. Mate, we haven't yeah, spoken about that. How, how are you doing? Are you okay? I'll have to speak about it next time. Because I actually have a lot to, to say on that yeah. account. Basically, my character, he met, he met the big man, Xanathar. Mm. Had a bit of a tensing conversation, but I think we'll save that for next week because I, uh, I have a lot to say about that role-playing counter, how it was run, oh, the, the the things that went into it. Are you going to uh, chastise me or did you, is, it, is it positive? No, no, it's very positive, okay. very positive. Okay. Uh, We're not actually playing admit- this week and I'm very excited for our next session because you're going to get to have a, a dinner uh-huh. with Jarl Axel, which will be well, so I, Well, I say a quick, a, a quick thing about it is I found... It was a one of those rare role playing counters where, even though there were checks being made, because it is a game, we had obviously deception checks and persuasion checks and stuff like that, mm. and also the the dice were really on my side as well. You which did nice do that. well, yeah, because uh, he only has a plus one to all those checks, so it wasn't <laughs> great. But um, even though there were some of those, it did actually feel like the reason I didn't get disintegrated and and got what I wanted was because of the the actual words I said mm. and the the intelligence in in what I was thinking and I went in there and Xanatha held all the cards and and one by one with each clever statement I I picked one of those cards from his hand and and, we, and then by the end we were sort of slightly more even right mm-hmm. and it felt like that happened because of the it felt like a real battle of wits right yeah even though I had no power in the situation he had all the power he was still trying to outwit me uh, just because he's an intelligent character and it felt like he was getting satisfaction in trying to trip me up and my character was getting satisfaction in not being tripped up and sort of doing the dance. Oh, mate. But we can talk about it more next week. Yeah, uh, we should because yeah. I like it when you say good things about my games. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> so. oh, well, I'm glad you Vindication. Yeah, literally. 
Oh, dude. Okay, well, look, um, I don't know. I was going to, I usually I tell you to go and get ready for a game, but we're not doing that today. So I don't know. Go and do whatever you want, mate. I'm just going to go play Ghost Tsushima. Oh, yeah, just of course you are. Become the samurai. You are the samurai. Oh my goodness! I, I keep saying that. So thematic. Phoebe is. Phoebe's <laughs> had enough. She's. She's. She can't. Every five minutes, I tell her she's a samurai. Well, I wouldn't. Wouldn't you love that though? If someone were just telling you you're a samurai all the time. I mean, I would. I but know, apparently, Phoebe, no, uh, not so much. I don't know what her beef is. You yeah, know what I mean? Honestly, uh, honourable. Just samurai. tell her that she's bringing. Just tell her she's bringing dishonour to the family. All right, okay. and uh, all right. you know to stop her running ways. I will. Uh, so. I will try that one later. Mm-hmm. All right, dude. Well, um, have a nice weekend and I'll, I'll speak to you again soon. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favour. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.